we better do a clap. Let's do a clap. Three, two, one. <laughs> well, it's close enough. You're listening to the Locked In Shed podcast. But we didn't clap at the same time on the screen. Though. I know we didn't. Let's try again then. You lead, you lead it and I'll try and go with you. I'm Richard Barber and I'm progressing with my mission to create an audio resource about the history, art and science of snow sport coaching for all those involved in the sport, new and seasoned. I'm going to go three, two, one, clap. Yes! Well, I didn't clap then. Um, that's just what I'm going to do. <laughs> in this episode, I'm continuing my discussion with John Shedden former national coach and director of coaching for Snowsport England. Okay, here we go for real. Three, two, one, clap. Yes, that was a good one. We've got it, John. We can retire now. Is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you were about half a second after me, at least. It's close enough. There'll be a spike that's close enough on the things. Okay. We're moving forward from memoirs and getting further into the science and art of coaching, tapping into John's lifelong obsession with the subject. So today, we're exploring some of the considerations for effective coaching so that performers and their coaches can maximize the outcomes. We'll explore sense modalities, learning habits, and expose ourselves to different terrain and environments. We hope you have as much fun listening to it as we did trying to synchronise the recordings. Even Louis Theroux had some problems the other day when he was doing this with Boy George. Halfway through their podcast, the internet went down and they had to reconvene. I'll try and interview you in the style of uh, Louis Thoreau. Is that okay? Is that all right? I don't mind. You know, is that okay? Are you sure you want to say that? (laughs) Just interview me. Well, on to university then. Let me rewind you back to university. You talked about the influences of psychology on your interests and studies that you did and you did various experiments yes. and there was one that you mentioned where we, under the guidance and assistance of a doctor you did some anesthetic work on on skiers yeah. tell me a bit more about that one <laughs> I thought you might ask about that I needed to investigate how beginners, intermediate and advanced skiers relied on or used sensory information, which sense modalities were, if any, dominant in those three categories of skier. And it became very clear that beginners didn't change their performance very much when their feet and lower legs had their legs partially anaesthetized. I say partially. Uh, they they were given an anaesthetic cream, which uh, reduced the sensitivity of the skin and, to some degree, the sensitivity of the proprioceptive feedback through their muscles. But 
the beginners, it didn't make any difference to them, whereas advanced skiers uh, made a significant amount of difference. So very clearly, advanced skiers were using proprioceptive feedback and uh, the sense of touch against the, the skin of their feet and lower legs far more than beginners were. That also applied to vision and it applied to hearing in the sense that what the advanced skiers were doing was learning and had learned selective attention and listened for sounds which were significant to them while they were skiing, whereas beginners didn't and were overloaded with too much visual information and too much auditory information. They couldn't make sense. Their, their perceptual processes hadn't yet discerned what sounds were significant and what sounds weren't. And also, of course, I think I mentioned this last time, it was very difficult for, for the beginners to interpret what they saw compared with intermediate and advanced skiers who would learn to adjust their perceptions to living on a tilted, slippy, relatively featureless world, whereas the beginners were still adjusting to that, coming from a sticky, flat, uh, feature-full feature world. So the evolution of the perceptual processes became a more interesting part of uh, my investigation and study of. So for the, the instructors and, and coaches listening, what would be the emphases you would say would be really important then to beginner skiers? Questions to them around, here's a task I'm presenting you. Do you perceive, do you think that you can solve this task? And if the answer is yes, while you're having a go, try and notice what you feel about the slippiness of the skis, even if this is walking on the flat, the slippiness of the skis and whether they are flat or they're on inside or outside edges. And so you can start to give names to the parts of the skis right at the beginning, but not by saying, do this with your skis, but rather feel what, what your feet are telling you about what the skis are doing and then when you begin to sidestep up when you turn around ask them to notice what it is that they can feel in relation to what they can see so how steep is the hill and as you look at the run out area do you foresee yourself sliding down and then coming to a halt or have you any idea how far you'll slide before you do stop? Hence little games like putting a marker in the runout and then giving the beginners three goes to climb up the hill, ski down and stop with their ski tips or to start with just the skis next to the marker and then narrow that down to the front half of the ski or the back half of the ski or just where the foot stops by the marker. And to the outside, this looks like the instructor setting a target and the pupils climbing up the hill and sliding down and missing the target and so on. But what they're actually doing is discovering how slippy the slope is and how that slippiness relates to their perception of the steepness and the changes in gradient. So they start to see changes in gradient differently and they can differentiate between a flat slope and a slope, a counter slope or a slope which doesn't yet go flat. 
and um, you, you don't tell them how high up to go on the slope. You ask them to tell you where it's appropriate for them to start so that on the third attempt, because they're allowed three goes, on the third attempt, I'm going to start from here and stop with my feet or ski tips next to that mark. I like that activity too, John, and it's something I still use when I'm working with beginner skiers for a, for a couple of reasons. That reason alone, that they're developing their own perceptual awareness of what they're doing. But it also has, uh, as a, a former operator, you're actually introducing aspects of the skier's code in that activity almost straight away. They're learning the effect of their own behavior and in time they're going to have to take full responsibility for their own behavior whereas at this stage the instructor or coach is assuming quite a a large responsibility for the conduct of the session so that was the one and then the other one is when you get to the bottom with a marker there encouraging people to then slide forwards before going to the side and walking back up again you're leaving the run-out area that much clearer to maximise the activity rate and so on, which comes into the, the perception of enjoyment as well. And once you've established that they remember to stop, move forward before they move around and come back, then the class can proceed at a much quicker rate because the second person can set off before the first person is uh, finished if, uh, if you judge that they if they've demonstrated sufficient competence. And certainly the second person can start immediately the first person has stopped as they start to move forward. So uh, it's, it's more efficient in that way. But the essence of it is the development of skill, which, as you've said, embraces a range of activities, including taking full responsibility for your own behavior in relation to your enjoyment, your safety, and the people around you and then ultimately the rules and regulations of the road if you like the the skiway code but the uh, i've said many times that to me the word skill is used in two different ways and one way is to call an activity a skill which is in, in my view conversational shorthand it's just a way of talking about an activity with no great uh, insight. Whereas if you use the word skill to mean the ability that the performer has inside them to do something, they're more or less skillful. And skill in an evolutionary sense is a means of solving tasks. It's the ability to determine what the task is, develop some behaviours which solve the task, and then remember those so that they're produced more and more automatically, I should say increasingly automatically, each time, you report, uh, each time you repeat the activity, so that spare capacity becomes available to see the task in a wider context and whether or not there are more alternatives. No, there's only one alternative. There's more options for solving the, uh, the task or more tasks to be solved. And this is very valuable in survival, but it's also very valuable in any refined activity. But the very essence of it is predictability. 
that skill is the ability to predict your own behavior in an increasingly complex world, an increasingly complex environment. And, and so the, one of the first things that a beginner should learn, and one of the ways in which instructors and coaches can help beginners, is to put them on this road of predictability as soon as possible. Help them to investigate what is going on around them, notice all the things that they see, hear, feel, and so on. Check their understanding, but encourage them to increase the complexity of their perceptual processes uh, as they go along until the point where they can predict what's going to happen next to them. So when I go down here and do this, I will slow down effectively. When I go over there, I will feel emotionally different because the terrain over there is different. And, and the, the more they can predict their own behavior, the more skillful they can become, which is why we also advocate starting in a closed environment. Again, some of the textbooks and other people, the people still write to me today, can I explain the difference between open and closed skills, which is to mix up two types of language. There are open and closed environments and different levels of skillfulness within those environments for the performer. So a performer in a closed environment, that is one which is constant every time they participate in it. It's the same every time they do it. Then they develop movement patterns, habits, they develop skill in a closed environment, which has a high level of repeatability and a very high level of predictability attached to it. But as the environment changes, as they move into a, a more complex environment, which may be different to the one they practiced in yesterday, or it may be changing whilst they are in it, as on a football field or in a, on a ski slope when they're descending the ski slope, then the ability to perform and predict what is going to happen in that changing environment we call performing in an open environment. So it's the environments which are closed and open, not the skill. The skill of the performer is the ability to adapt to move from one form of environment to the other. But because in most sports, this requires quite practiced and automated body movements, then it's helpful to develop those body movements by a reasonable number, maybe hundreds of repetitions in a closed environment and then move them into an open environment. If you try to learn in the open environment before the closed environment, then you end up with forced body movements which don't really solve the task efficiently. Back here in the UK, where our artificial slopes vary in, in their complexity, we often call them the closed environment because they're relatively fixed. Um, okay, at outdoors, the weather can change, which will af affect the slipperiness and the grippiness of the plastic matting. But indoors, as the day moves on, because it, they're groomed once or only twice a day, the snow conditions can change. But 
relatively speaking, compared with a mountain side and being at altitude, it's very, very different. So uh, there are things you can do to develop people's foundations in preparation for the mountain environment. And uh, perhaps one of those ways is through altering the complexity of the task bit by bit. So those new learnt behaviours can be adapted to new tasks and variations on a task. Yes, indeed. And that's another of the models which have evolved from this um, basic premise, if you like, that if you learn some simple habits and learn them well in a very closed environment, the, the ideal is then to move to a very complex environment which is different and changing to the in relation to the one you started from, and which will demand all sorts of different responses or which you can choose to perform different activities on because the terrain presents different opportunities. And if you're truly skillful at the highest level that you're capable of, you are very adaptable to in open terrain. But the intermediate steps to get there involve, first of all, developing habits consciously. So solving tasks that are set for you or you set yourself, and then developing habits which effectively solve those tasks. And then changing the manner in which you solve the task. So changing the body movements, the technical elements of the performance, until that task can then be solved on more complex terrain using the new patterns of movement that you've learned in the simpler terrain. So in essence, it's start on simple terrain, close terrain with simple movements, and then change the body movements until you have a variety of them and do it by intention. Become more versatile. Choose to do things differently. And then when you can do things differently, choose to do them differently on different terrain. Yes. And so on, brushing uh, continues. And that's something that uh, I've encountered a lot within the instructing and coaching community. And I mentioned in a previous recording doing instructor training. If one gets a bit hung up on a particular technical model and that's the way you want to teach people to ski, to follow that technical model, then they lose those opportunities to learn different habits. And it's really important that the coach understands where different movement patterns will fit in to different performances and the solving of different tasks and getting better and developing your ability either in the artificial environment or out on the mountains to be able to adapt is really, really important. So just having one set prescribed model can be a real hindrance to learners. But knowing where that model fits in to the overall usefulness of those activities towards sound habits that are needed for better and better performances is a critical element of learning for instructors and coaches. It is. And... I think to some degree we discussed this in our last conversation 
than when I spoke about instructors can choose to work either for the people they're teaching or for the people who employ them. And if the people who employ them are clubs and organisations whose sole purpose is to enhance the performance of the individuals, there is no conflict of interest. But if the people who employ the instructors are ski schools in a commercial setting who have a commercial requirement to ensure that the same model is sold to everybody... So I'm going to have to redo that, John. Sorry, I made the mistake of leaving a phone in this room. I'll just get rid of it. Sorry. <laughs> ah, I knew that was going to happen! Ah! <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you on that one. Where were we? Um, if the ski instructor works for a commercial ski school which is selling a commercial product, which is not uncommon in the tourist industry, where the model of skiing that is being taught, or snowboarding, other forms of snowboard, is being taught, is required to be the same from instructor to instructor in the same ski school, and in places like Austria, required to be the same from ski school to ski school who are using the Austrian method. So there is continuity in the product that the customer is purchasing. So when people go on holiday, if they go in a ski school and it's the first time they've ever been, it doesn't really matter how they're taught so long as they enjoy themselves and end up more competent than when they started. But if they choose to go back to the same village or the same ski school or the same country year after year after year in the hope that they will continue to progress in the same method, then it's helpful if the different instructors are all selling the same model, using the same terminology, using the same words. Now, that is the view of the commercial sales personnel in the same way that People who sell Ford motor cars learn all about Ford motor cars and learn to sell Ford motor cars. And they're not very happy trying to sell you Vauxhall motor cars. But if you're intelligent and you shop around and you are interested in driving cars and how they work, then you can go and try a Ford motor. You can go and try a Vauxhall. You can try others. You can look at all the different ones and then choose for yourself which one you want to use for what it is that you want to use it for. So if you want a car to go shopping, you've got an awful lot more choice than if you want a car to go rally driving or um, long-distance deliveries or whatever. So the, the ski world is, is very similar, but not every coach and not every instructor understands the... Uh, the nuances of who they are working for, where where their priorities lie in determining the content of what they teach. And the purpose of having a commercial ski school is to sell ski lessons to people who come along and want to learn to ski. That makes sense. That's relatively obvious. 
the purpose of having a ski school in a mountain resort setting is so that you encourage people to come back again and again and again by teaching them uh, something which has a proven track record in that particular environment and which the, all the authorities can be confident works. If we go back to the beginner, if the beginner starts to learn to ski in a holiday resort, their view of skiing is conditioned by and framed by all the things that clearly a very competent ski instructor working in a prestigious ski school with a nice uniform and pristine conditions when they meet them in the morning and so on. Such a, such a relationship between the beginner and the ski school is one of usually high respect and considerable authority given to the person who's teaching. When the beginner learns to ski at home, locally, and I don't just mean English people learning to ski in Lancashire or Gloucestershire, but when they learn to ski in Austria or France locally, they're normally taught by coaches or if they learn as children, by school teachers who are trained as coaches. Now, some of those people may very well be ski instructors as well, but when they're teaching local people, they are coaches, coaching. In other words, they're trying to encourage the local people to get involved in the sport, develop some competence, and then stay in the activity, to stay in the sport. So their responsibility is in a sense, the same as the responsibility of the ski instructor in the ski school. The ski instructor in the ski school, his job is to encourage people to come back every year to the same ski school. Whereas the coach's responsibility is to encourage the beginner to become a skier, to become as good as they can be, which means being as versatile as they choose to be and as adaptable as it's possible for them to be in a whole wide range of tasks and environments and the two have two completely different processes allied to them. Visitors going from Britain to France or Austria can't really meet a coach and, they, and it's, you can't buy coaching because coaching is something which is normally purchased by local people locally. And it's not available to people who are only there for a week. Because the idea of coaching is long-term development. It's athlete-centered. It's based on the needs and interests of the learner, not the needs and product of the seller. So the differences are very small to beginners, but become very big by the time people are taking control of their own steering and choices of terrain they ski on and the manners in which they ski. There's a couple of different questions if you're listening to an instructor or a coach and you don't know what role they're playing that day or what role they're performing that day, are, are things such as, well, today you're going to learn about this, this and this. And that's clearly the product-centered instructor approach. Whereas... Uh, if you're listening to someone ask this question, they're more likely to be a coach. What are you working on at the moment? 
And I think that's a key distinction for people to be aware of. And uh, just listening to you, John, talking about those different roles, that's also a link to the role of uh, a governing body and why the governing body of Snowsport England, for instance, exists, is to encourage and develop people to join and retain and be a participant, ongoing participant in the sport. So it all links up. Oh yes, there's a place for all parties in this. It's just the, the different place, the different roles that the different parties play in the big picture need to be understood by all parties at the same mm-hmm. time. <laughs> and there ought, there ought to be, in my view, the whole sport would be much healthier for everybody if all the parties were aware of their different roles and the potential for the development of those different roles and cooperated in the development of those roles with mutual support for all the different parties who have different roles rather than for them to perceive themselves to be in competition with each other even to the point of two ski slopes somewhere in England or two ski villages somewhere in France or Austria being in competition with each other. They don't have to be in competition with each other. They can be providing experiences for their local people and then encouraging them to go and widen those experiences by going to the other facility or the other resort and to develop their versatility and adaptability. Indeed, John. I did some research into the type of people that visit artificial ski slopes and quite a lot of customers at artificial ski slopes attend a few times prior to a a skiing holiday and as part of that research I was able to tweak and modify what I was doing in my ski school and augment that with coaching and directing people into the local ski clubs and actually getting far more participation within the activity and and that was people engaging in coaching so it moved from the product-centered to the person-centered approach it's uh, somewhat more complicated to manage in some respects but actually in terms of participation levels and for me you know brutally as a ski center that needed to improve its profits to reinvest in the facility we needed people to come more often as well as more a broader customer base we needed more new people coming those people that were already participating if they just attended a few more times by engaging in coaching and staying for longer actually that helps the bottom line and helps invest in the facility to to make it better for those customers as well and that's a major function of the governing body coaching scheme And so this episode must draw to a close. The person-centred development that coaching provides, using tasks and tuning performers into their senses, really came across from John, as did his passion for the science and art of coaching. I'm an instructor and coach, and really enjoy coaching skiers over prolonged periods, finding it enriching for my own development as both an instructor and a coach. Both roles are important to the sport, And if you want to find out more about coaching, you can access clubs all around the UK and coach education with the home nation governing bodies. 
I'll put some web links in the episode information. Thank you for feedback on topics and contributors for future recordings, and please keep them coming. This has been a Locked In Shed production. Stay safe, look after yourself, and bye-bye for now.